You're listening to the Irish Times. So it's the time of year when we have to start reading books, sports books. Uh, and you don't know this yet, but we're going to be doing a, a sports book podcast. I'm glad you told me. Yes. Uh, which means that you're going to have to read some books. I can't read them all. I thought you read them all every year. No, I do read them all every year. Anyway, thanks everybody. This is uh, Pat Nugent and Maliki Kirkin on the Out of Time podcast. And this is me telling you, Pat, that I want you not to just come in here when we do our books podcast, having only read Peter Crouch's book. <laughs> Fair enough, that's a deal. <laughs> and giving you some homework to do. We can also go and see films by some of our sports stars as well. That's what is happening this year rather than them bringing out books. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> next weekend, Katie Taylor is going to fight Cindy Serrano in Boston to defend her WBA and IBF titles. Mm-hmm. And the following Friday, her movie, Katie, comes out in the cinemas. Yes. I'm, looking, I'm really looking forward to it. Ross Whitaker has done brilliant sports documentaries before in Ireland. He did a brilliant surfing one a few years ago. He did a brilliant one with Ali's fight in Croke Park. Fantastic, fantastic filmmaker. And uh, I'm really looking forward to this. Actually, because Katie can often be slightly reticent in Quite, interviews. Yeah. And she did an interview with Donald Clark of this parish, our, our film critic. Indeed. Uh, at the weekend. And it was quite a... F- I think she was more forthcoming often than she can tend to be. Mm. Because she... Possibly because Ross Whitaker was sitting beside her, maybe if she felt like backup. But she spoke a bit more about what's gone on with her dad and, mm. and stuff like that. It's a, it's a good interview. But one of the things about the... About the film that's coming out, my favourite thing about it so far has been the promotional campaign right. around it, or at least one specific poster that came out that I want to read you what's yes. written on the poster. This is from Fionula Hannigan of Screen International. She wrote that it's a beautifully crafted story of a supreme athlete. Athlete, Katie Taylor is the real life million dollar baby. <laughs> Have you seen Million Dollar Baby? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Do you remember the plot of what happens? Well, then? I remember it. It it doesn't particularly end well for the million dollar baby. No, I, I think that because it starts off with a girl who has a dream of yes. being a high high class boxer. Yes. And she she is found as a diamond in the rough by mm. Clint Eastwood in his in his beaten down gym. Yeah. And he works with her, even though he says that she's taken up the sport too late. He works with her and turns her into a champ and she's fighting. Yeah. The exact opposite of Katie Taylor. The exact on. opposite of Katie Taylor. <laughs> but at that point, I reckon that Fanula Hannigan stood up and left the theatre <laughs> and said, well, this reminds me a lot of Katie Taylor. Um, spoiler alert for this film, by the way, because yeah. what then happens is that in her title fight, she gets punched after the bell goes, gets knocked onto a stool, breaks her neck and is paralysed. And the remainder of the film concerns her persuading her surrogate father, Clint Eastwood, to euthanise her. Yeah. Which he does. Yeah. <laughs> and then flees the state from the police. Katie, if you're listening. <laughs> I'm, I'm fascinated that if there must have been a lot going on in Katie Taylor's life that yeah. we haven't heard about if, if she is the real life million dollar baby. All that tells you, Pat, is that uh, marketers are the world's worst people. <laughs> because all that happened there was uh, she went, Katie is, hang on, wasn't there a boxing film with a girl one time? Isn't that? Yeah. Million dollar baby. Done. Like, when really she's actually, I guess she's she's Rocky, she's Mickey War, exactly. she's a fighter, she's yeah. she's she's she is a, a relatively workaday boxing story, except that she's a woman, uh, and, and supremely talented. And, but this is what I mean. Like she's a fantastic 
athlete, wonderful boxer, game changer in her sport. She wasn't discovered late and she wasn't euthanized. No. <laughs> <laughs> Million dollar baby, asterisk, possibly not euthanized. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but like you said though, Ross Whitaker has form in this and would highly recommend people checking out the, the film. Yeah. Uh, and we will watch it and talk about it on the podcast when, when it comes out. Uh Later today, or later on the podcast, we have myself and Emmett Malone were, were blood brothers enduring the Ireland Soccer International on Saturday night, so we'll talk to Emmett about that. Um, but first of all, we are going to talk some rugby. The Heineken Champions Cup is back, Pat. Yes, finally, it's got its proper name back. Proper name back, so we can, we can all feel comfortable in it again, giving... Uh, as we clubs. called it the Heineken Cup for, for years for that it wasn't <laughs> called it. And it will be that again. Yeah. Indeed. <laughs> Jerry Thorney and Gavin Cummins are in to tell us all about the first weekend. Uh, very enjoyable weekend. Really enjoyable. Wasn't it? Loved it. Yeah. Watched loads and loads of rugby. Yeah. And I just think this is a great competition. And it's a great competition when the Irish are doing well, because we add so much to it. Mm. And we genuinely do. Mm. I mean, no, that's parochial. But I just was, uh, I was buzzing from Friday night, from watching Leinster. Well, who couldn't be? Who couldn't be, to be honest now? Or Giddy. They just can't figure us out, can they? Just, they were so good. This is a machine. It's just a blue machine mm. that just keeps coming at you. And, and they're so well drilled. And the off, I think it's something to do with Contabomi coming on board now, but the, the decoy runners off the ball. Like, if you're an opposition defender, it's just, who do you go for? Mm. Who do you pick out? They're just coming at you, and they run so straight. And they just keep well, coming at you. And right, their recycle well, is so good. The, and their ball skills yeah. are so good. And like, it, I heard, they actually could get better. They, they, they actually left three or four tries behind. Well, it was, you know, it's their first, first big day of the year, you know? Yeah. Really. Yeah. You you know? Only, the only worry is that it's October. Yeah. It's too early to be this good. Because, you know, they don't hand out trophies in October, which is just as well for the rest of the competition. Or else just be done and dusted. <laughs> but they have the squad to maintain this. Yeah, so they, they do. They do. <clears throat> take away... Uh, Sexton and I think, think and then it beca- if, let's just say worst case scenario you take Sexton out for a few months or weeks Ross Burns development like Stuart Lancaster has consistently gone on about that this guy can mm-hmm. do a lot of things that would be one of the kind of ma- oh, the concerns there's a couple of players you take out of the other teams and everything changes but with Leinster almost every position um, they have the potential to get better no matter who gets tell me this who, they've lost Naseba but they've almost gained James Lowe oh my god well, you know, t- well I was just going to say t- you know you're you're spoiled for choice for for what to take away from from that night. You yes, know, you, you know any other any other game you mm. take away uh, Sexton's through the through, through the, the legs pass. pass. But like on the list, Mike Furlong's impression of Brian O'Driscoll. Well, I was just about to go there. I was going to say on the list of highlights, that's obviously below James Lowe. Mm. But for me, my God, that what Ty or what Tyke um, Furlong? Tyke Furlong did. I like. The balletic yes. movement, yeah. the shake of the hips, the sway, and it's then extraordinary the off one-handed offload of pass, and then when you look at it again from the camera behind the goal, he's bouncing to his feet, running that was down the, the mad pitch. Thing. That was the mad thing. He was dying to get up and yeah. follow it up. I think you have to give credit to Leo Cullen in a lot of this because I went through the team sheet at the, um, when it was announced, and you know people say, "Oh, he's made another nine changes on top of eleven the week before." Mm. But every combination had played together at least twice that season, apart from the back row. The second row, front row, half-backs, midfield, back three had all played together in different games mm. as combinations. And of course, they're coming in fresh, unlike these English clubs who, I think Dai Young has a point and Jordy Murphy made the same point after the Ulster game. Because of the salary cap, they insist on paying somebody like Lima Sapuaga um, 750 grand a year or whatever it is. Um, and uh, the poor fellow gets Simbin, of course, and that was a bit of the turning point in the game. But to retain their marquee players, it makes their squad a bit thinner. Mm. and uh, so some of their players are just playing every week every week every week 
whereas the Irish lads are coming in nice and fresh. Um, but that's down to squad management. That's down to also cultivating your own players. All the, the conveyor belt of talent that's coming through the schools and academy and underage system in Leinster is unrivaled in the whole of Europe. It's ironic because they go to Toulouse now and they're actually the new Toulouse. Gav, very, we- good, very good story, uh, I think it was in the mail a couple of weeks ago about uh, Farrell being flogged at Saracens and it was a, a leak came out about how, like I'm talking about in the summer, they were like going, we've got this player that we're really concerned about. He's our marquee player, he's our number one player. We have to be careful how we manage him. And then they've played him every single game this season. Yet their model is deeply flawed and they're going to keep losing to Irish provinces because Exeter were supposed to trash Munster, you know, mm. and they couldn't do it. They couldn't mm. get there. Mm. Word of caution, it's a long season, eight months, yeah. injuries, refereeing decisions, knockout games, you know, all blacks can lose World Cup mm. quarterfinals, mm. semifinals and finals. The best team doesn't always win out in knockout stages. Yeah, but Jerry, go wrong. Yeah, okay, but, but like, all you're taking from the weekend is, wow, look, at the, this at the team moment, is there. They are undead unquestionably the best team in Europe and Gav we won't we, we, I, I promise we won't uh, spend every Monday morning uh, salivating over James Lowe but my God yeah I, but this has been the last three games he's played he's been at this level of mm. he just he goes and looks for things and he's got the ability to offload out of anything and sur- surely somebody has they, they kind of copped on you know where he, he goes to ground releases the ball picks it up mm. and makes another three yards mm. teams mm. need to stop him from doing that That's just needs, he needs to be buried in his face put into the muck when he's tackled the next I time. heard I think two or three different Leinster players interviewed afterwards Johnny on the telly maybe Luke McGrath with the papers afterwards and each of them sort of mentioned you know you have to follow him because you know he's going to get you know you have to get keep up with him you have to chase him because he's going to get an offload away he's going to be he's going to present the ball he, for and you. he does he gives him another dimension but a word of caution Luke McGrath gets injured what happens mm. all of a sudden that whole the Leinster dynamic changes because James Logan can no longer be put in the team because Jameson gives him park St- they've got young scrum halves coming, but he has to start then ahead of Nick McCarthy. That's and right. So, so Scott Fardy or James Lowe miss out. Yeah, yep. so the dynamic of the team completely mm. changes automatically. They yeah. lose Lowe. If they lose McCarthy, they lose two players. It happened to them last year and they battled on, but mm. that could that's that's something that could uh, really hurt them. How good was Luke McGrath? I don't know if I've ever seen him play better. I thought he was sensational. Uh, and he's a brilliant rugby player who is now working on his scrum half skills. Mm. He's bringing his scrum half skills, his steps and all that stuff. Like uh, I think Malo Kelly was listening to him, who's slightly critical of him still. Really? With, yeah, like he. He's ironed out so many bits and pieces. Um, like I got a load of grief from Connacht people for saying he's definitely the second best scrum half last year. I, <laughs> like, please c- come at me with John Cooney's really coming on as well. But um, Luke McGrath has to feature off the bench a couple of times in November. I think. Yeah, thought. Lads, just looking forward to next weekend and away to Toulouse. How do you see that going? It's going to be interesting. It's um, Toulouse are uh, they won away to Bath thanks primarily to Freddie Burns. Poor Freddie. Poor Freddie. That was comical in fairness. Yeah. Um, if any be happy, twenty-eight-year-olds. You can't be. You're supposed to be like a pro. You're supposed to be like right up there. You're not supposed to be making some mistakes. Explain what happened, Jerry, for anybody well, who didn't see with, it. Uh, eight minutes to go. They were losing twenty-twenty-two at home to Toulouse. And Freddie Burns was playing full-back normally in that half. Was the goal kicker. He'd already scored a try, a very good try, and he had a penalty dead straight in front of the posts, and he hit the post with it. Um, they came back down the field, and within two minutes, he sliced through and prematurely started kissing his badge and um, holding his hand up in the air. And Maxime Medar true pro came from blindsided and came along and just flicked his uh, wrist just as he was about to ground the ball knocking the ball from his grasp and so 
Burns was inconsolable, immediately taken off by Todd Blackadder. Big one, wasn't it? Mm. To take him off immediately yes. was to say, now you're either A, your head's gone, or B, I don't want you anywhere near this pitch. Because it was still a chance for him to redeem them. Yeah. He's still he's still an England international, you know what I mean? Not he, a he could and should have been man of the match. He was crying. <laughs> Maybe his head was gone. But either way, Blackadder's, that club's in, in a, is in a mess. They've, their, their coaching system, like Gervin Dempsey's in the back room there. They're, they're, everyone's under threat. They're given, we don't know who's going to be in charge next season. They've already said that they're bringing on the next coach. and New director of rugby, he's going to, but he's not quite ready for the job yet, but he's going to be taking over yeah, that and yeah, so, look after the show until Yeah, the then. place is a mess. And it, like Reese Priestland came out and even said it afterwards, the Welsh, they're at half saying, yeah, there's something, wrong. There's something wrong here in our system. This has happened before. A player celebrating prematurely with the ball over the line. Yeah, but you sh- you, like, a, a lot of players came out on Twitter, Gitto, Zebo, and all that, going chin up, going, don't worry with the haters and the keyboard warriors and all that. But like... Indolo was hilarious to see his tweet. <coughs> no. He did a tweet saying, don't worry, bro, I, I once blew up my parents' car. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag perspective. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and that's true. There, there should be perspective. But you're a seasoned pro. Yeah. And it's everything is on the but line. Also, People's jobs are on the line. And you're showboating? But also, beyond, here, you know? but, but also I... What made it worse for me was the missed penalty beforehand. Because surely then, surely, having missed a sitter, your head is, I need to do absolutely everything to the absolute letter for the rest of this game. Yeah, maybe it's something... Put the ball down when you get over the line. That's what I'm saying. Maybe that had something to do with his mindset he's going through. You know, I've I've, I've come back or whatever. Anyway. It's it's unforgivable, but you have to forgive at the same time. Like, you know, it's a human error. We all make mistakes. None of us are perfect. But the problem for Freddie Burns is he's got to live with it, Mm. more so than anybody else in the world. It's going to become one of the most replayed highlights, reels, images of the Heineken Cup 2018-19 for years to come. Yeah, but like you know, you have to feel a little bit of empathy for the player. What's the thing that rugby players always say? Next job and all this thing. You make a mistake, and this is they drill this into them. You make a mistake, you make sure your next thing is on because it's so unrelenting. Rugby, you can end up being fifty points down if you start make mistake, become mistakes. But clearly, that club, they're just they're, they're, they've yeah, got, got serious them. problems there that yeah. they're not really addressing these little things. Leadership anyway, issues all the anyway, way through. Toulouse, that's the look curve. Toulouse, yeah, um, yeah. So it's a handed victory. But they you know they show glimpses of why they they're back in the European Cup. They were absent last year for the first time ever. The only French ever presence. Four time winners like Leinster. <clears throat> um, an illustrious club, real, real, real French aristocracy. They they were the template of how to do it. They had their own wonderful academy system, part of which was a, a, an education system. They educated their young players. Loads of great youth players came through a system devised by um Skrella and um Villapra, brilliant, brilliant system, great club, magnificent facilities, uh, Michelin star restaurant, the works. But they just lost their <laughs> way. The important part. Yeah. Trevor Brennan. <laughs> yeah, Trevor Brennan, I know well because when yeah, I'm writing yeah. Trevor's book, I was over there quite a few times. Great, great club, love it to bits. But in the latter stage of the Guinoves reign, it, it got a little bit stale. And then um, there was uh, Ugo Mola came in and they, um, they missed out in qualification last year, didn't even make the top six, the playoffs the first time in about 40, 50 years, two years ago. And last year rebuilt, and you know because they were in the Challenge Cup, they um, blood, blooded a lot of young players from their own academy, from their own um, esports, and they did quite well. And so they they rebuilt and went back to playing Toulouse brand rugby. They scored a wonderful try from their own line in one of the games, and they're capable of doing that this season. But they also blew a nineteen point lead at home to Cast, mm. and they nearly blew it yesterday. And I don't think. They're capable of outplaying Leinster over 80 minutes. I think they will have good spells in the game and it's away from home. So therefore, it's going to just come away wins are just so hard they to They haven't checked out because of Freddie Burns. Because exactly. they won that game, they're, yes. still, they're still tuned in and, and they're also, going to love this. But also, they're, they're, they've got the four stars in their crest and they're going to come up against the other team with the four stars in the crest. And Leinster, the holders, which means t- the stadium will be 
absolutely packed capacity and Leinster are now the most prized scalp in Europe so Toulouse are going to be seriously up for this I think Leinster will win though. I think what you oh, said yeah, there, do you think 80 Lanser minutes I think they'll just yeah. grind them down yeah. Yeah. Gavin last weekend we were saying that um, if essentially if Munster managed to get a bonus point away <laughs> to Exeter it would have been a fine result but they actually left the win after them really didn't they Munster have consistently come off the back of that Leinster defeat before Europe and turned it up another dial and they really did this is a whole new Munster team because of Tyburn, <laughs> like the stuff he was doing. His breakdown work, his lines of running. He runs the line out now, and this is his first ever time ever in his life. He's 26 years old running a line out. I wonder who kind of pushed that one to happen. I'm sure the Irish, Easterby and Schmidt were behind, maybe going, giving him that duty, and he's doing it excellently. To play, as Peter Mahoney said afterwards, he comes into us and he goes, because we were like, like you chances to kind of, you know, you chances to win this game, but you, you might be going back to Shannon with a bit of regret. And he goes, lads, I know you were here, but the wind out there and the conditions out there and this team, what they do to you, they try to break your set piece. He goes, this was as hard as it is to get. He goes, I'm really happy. And Mahoney actually being a man, he goes, the only person I'm disappointed himself is the three, me and the three penalties I gave up. Um, Carberry did, I was writing an online piece, a live piece, and I had a thousand words written on Carberry's time is now, he has come, and all this. And then, then. <laughs> then Tyburn steals the line out in the 79th minute and flicks it back. And it was the game winner, you know what I mean? Yeah. And um, that and Duncan Williams' tackle. Mm. And Tyburn steals the line out, it goes back to Carberry. And Van Graan completely says it was the right idea. The wind was, it was an absolute gale. And he went down the middle. And the wing caught it and caught it and caught it and it went dead. So they had an attack. Tell me the thinking there, Gavin. Was it, what, is the thinking just keep the ball in play because the clock is running well, you down? you don't keep the ball out dead. So you don't want to slice it. So, or you don't want to kick it out dead in the mm. full. So you want to go down the middle. It's sensible. Fine then it's, grass. It's, it's, in, it's in, yeah, fine grass. It's in there 22 and you go, come at us. And then you, come, you walk up to them with your defence and you defend, you defend from 80 metres from your own line for the last minute of the game. Instead, it was... they'd extra had 22 phases yeah. in the Munster 22 yeah. until they had a knock on and the Munster lads held tight uh, the defence and it was like Haley at fullback was throwing his body in there yeah. Stephen Archer there wasn't yeah. I, in my reports the stuff I wrote I was mentioning all the key guys what O'Mahony did what Standard did Standard's defence was Outrageous. another planet yeah. Yeah. and what all the key players and how Carberry and Byrne have changed the dimension of the team but they were all at it nobody was like Duncan Williams that double time uh, basically the whole thing was Munster They'd be blessed to get out with a bonus point from Exeter mm. because Duncan Williams is not up to scratch. He's his 32-year-old corkscrew half and there's a reason why he's never come through. Well, like, people need to back off and he deserves... He had a great game. He, <coughs> his kicking, his passing... But should should they not have won on. that, Jerry? Seriously. Um, like, like I, I understand having done the hard work... I know where you're coming from. Yeah, they had done, a serious team. I understand that too, but they had done the hard work against the wind. They had the wind... Like, they had all the territory, all the possession in the second half and just too many times ball didn't go to hand penalties that kind of stuff when they had had the pressure no, it was the mall broke down as well Exeter wouldn't let their mall crank up yeah um, that's true and yeah, they had some territorial positions but they and they had one try disallowed I, I thought they should have got a penalty with a couple of minutes to go I think Jerome Garcia's going back for a knock-on was the longest knock-on advantage of the season when it really, really should have been His advantages on both sides were unreal. They were up to a On balance though. On Maybe balance. it was due to the conditions. <clears throat> Ronald Gara said in, this, in our paper on Saturday if Munster were to win away to um, Exeter it would be the result of the weekend. Mm. So the draw is the next best thing and it's still one of the results of the weekend. Because not only have they picked up two points themselves which is at least one more than expected. Stopped. They've stopped yeah. Exeter from getting two. 
which almost guarantees that come the final round in, in January, tea time, Toman Park, the mist rolling in from yeah, the hills, yeah, yeah. it's coming down to a tea time Anglo-Irish affair, yeah. Munster at home, do or die mission against Exeter. Who would you want to be back in that scenario? So almost certainly, Munster have given themselves a great chance of staying alive until round six. The other thing as well, to do it the way they did it, to survive that 22 phases, for, every, for the players to just sprint off the line and throw their bodies in line and force that knock-on, um, will give them a much better sense of satisfaction than if they'd blown it towards the end. And most of all, thanks be to God for Joey Carberry, that they didn't lose it from that point in time from a wind-assisted kick going out in the full because that would have scarred him mentally a little bit. But his, I mean? his 73rd minute line kick... <clears throat> Looks, yeah, looks very like it. Look very like other right has we've seen. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, no, he's doing really well. Yeah. He's only twenty-two. Yeah. He hasn't played outside Conor Murray once since he got there. This is going to. No, this is going to build him as well. It was funny because yeah. you know in Exeter, be you've been to Exeter. You know they do the tomahawk song yeah. where they're, they're doing mm. it the whole time. Uh, every time the the Exeter tomahawk song kind of stopped, it kind of rose again. And I was looking at the lads around me going, "Are the monster fans singing Exeter Exeter <laughs> songs?" Because it was red everywhere. Right. They came in from Bristol and Exeter, yeah, and they're yeah, all coming yeah. in on early morning Asian flights, story. and they just started singing the Exeter song. Song and, top of it, and then it would kind of wall into the fields and afterwards there was a back pitch when you're coming out afterwards and they're all out there drinking their beers and all that as they're going oh they're they think they're, they're, they're they know they're onto something here there's going to be a bit of a, a couple of good games coming up ahead so of they them have, uh, no they have they Gloucester this weekend yeah Miracle Match revisited yeah, and whatever yeah. you know I think it's the fourth time Gloucester come to Coleman and they've lost the previous three now they got a win as well look it's funny all all the four provinces opponents next weekend all won over the last weekend as well so it sets them up for like mm. big crunch Top of the pool, you know, even in these formative stages, head-to-head yeah. battles. Gloucester um, beat the French champions, Castor at home. Only narrowly. Castor got a bonus point as well. This looks like every point might count in this pool. It looks very competitive. Good? Was he good? Yeah, he was good. He was good. You know, he was good. He, he goal-kicked superbly. Um, was his defence put under pressure? Because Luke Fitzgerald had an awful cut-off from last week about how uh, his defence uh, lacks courage and that's why he's not in the England squad. What did you, That is supposedly, that and maybe potentially his attitude is the reason why this, the I, most informed <clears throat> come half or out half in England is not getting a look in from Eddie Jones. I think he's also too, um, he goes off the playbook and he's just a little bit too maverick for Eddie Jones' liking. Okay. You know what I mean? That he's got Owen Farrell and George Ford there and he's had them there for years and they're his number 10s. Mm. And they, they each play the but game that Eddie Jones like wants the, to play. The worst. He, if he, if he brought in Cipriani he'd have to give the game plan straight over to him yeah it'd be the worst but Cipriani in Limerick in Toman Park kind of yes. has it all teed up for a, let's yes. go get him yes. you know yeah. and then obviously Gerbon Grobler is, is coming back as well he had a very interesting piece in the Mail on Sunday really which I'd like to, yeah. I'd push a lot of people towards to see to make up their own mind yeah. um, and he, he gives his heart in his sleeve about um his whole doping expert, how he had to do it and he had no choice and he was pressured into doping. It's a really interesting piece. There's no, we, we don't really like have time he, to go into it. But it sounds like he knows more than he, the, yeah. he knows what's going on. Yeah. Where did he get the drugs yeah. is what the, the question that should have probably yeah, been he asked. he never mentioned Munster once in it. No, I don't think he had a great time here. No, I don't think he had. Um, Jerry, you were at Ulster? Yes, I was. Yeah? Um, I, yeah. Now, to me, I, th- I thought that was a surprise, <clears throat> but you're telling me not really. No, I thought, I thought Ulster would win. Um, Leicester had been to uh, the Kingspan or Ravenhill as it used to be before four times and lost by an average of over 20 points mm. in the four times they've been there before. It's a fixture that just tends to go to the home side, I think. Um, Leicester really are not, are not tearing it up in the Premiership. You've got to, you see, in the Premiership at the moment, there's Saracens and there's Exeter yeah. and then there's this yawning gap to the rest yeah. and there's very little between the other 10. And Leicester are back in that rump now. They're not a special team anymore. They, you, you go through their squad of 23 players and you would struggle to recognise a lot of them if you're a casual fan. They're not the, the stellar team of the past. They don't have anything like the same quality. That's They're what really Jordan Murphy said. He said that they, they got 
they got shit kicked out of them by Northampton the week before, so they were missing so many key players. And with English Premiership squads, they have their marquee players. You know who they are, two laggies and all that. But once they start losing their their medium tier players, they're not like Leinster or even Munster for that matter. They just don't have the depth. Jordy's making the point to me after the game that Tom Young's has played eight matches in a row because mm. the other hooker is uh, was playing with Australia in the rugby champion. The other mm. another couple of younger hookers are injured, so he's played eight games in a row. Yeah. He's making the point that Rory Best had fourteen weeks off and then had one game coming into this <laughs> slightly fresher. Yeah. Um, but leaving all that aside, they got bullied up front, <clears throat> which you wouldn't expect of a Leicester Tigers team. Ulster, to be honest, there were two out-of-sorts teams, two teams lacking in confidence and form. And Ulster had something like um, 11 line-outs in the Leicester half in the first half and couldn't translate anything. Their ball retention was quite poor. They turned around 3-0 down and it was a pretty poor first half, mm. to be told. But once they got the first try, eventually they turned line-out prey. Really good line-out move. Uh, they drove Henderson around the corner, then Coates around the corner, and then finally Alan O'Connor came around the corner and they scored. And a huge roar came out of the ground, Malachi, and it was like just this... this it was like an earthquake. It was like just pure relief. And suddenly the confidence came back. And then they pulled clear and they really played some good rugby. Lots of things to admire. I think Will Addison is an outstanding player. Footwork for Ireland, strength, yeah. Definitely. What play. position would he play for Ireland? Don't know. He's a centre come fullback. And he even stepped into out half when oh. Freddie Burns was um, going up for an HIA. He he's a signing, isn't he, Jerry? He's, a, he's a ba- literally <clears> a signing by player. Ireland. Every time he, he gets on the ball, he looks like he's going to make something happen. He just looked really comfortable. He made one stunning counter-attack from deep like his a, try. a fullback when he set up Michael Larry and I'd like to talk about Larry as well on, this yeah. 20 year old kid I mean he looked like a he looked like the mascot at the start of the game <laughs> and the rain and the, Jordy Murphy looked at the team sheet and said right 5 foot 7 out half in his Heineken Cup debut third match ever and they, they rained down 6 up and unders the two halfbacks um, at fullback they yeah. rained down 6 up and unders at this kid and he dropped one under no pressure which is like it was coming out of the clouds and uh, George Ford kicked a penalty from the resultant scrum and it didn't bother him didn't phase him he kept going up in the air competing with um, a 6 foot 2 left winger um, just going up in the air and then he made this stunning support line to Addison's counter-attack mm. nearly got in for a try himself George Ford got the yellow card instead um, he nearly got in again he looked really quick lovely balanced runner Real natural footballer. And then at the very end, he came up with a try-saving tackle as well. So he emerged in incredible credit. And Great for them to have produced him as well. And also, just one thing as well. Dan McFarland, people are going, Dan, you know, McFarland, why him? He's really cut his teeth around the scene. First with Connacht, then up in, Ulster, then up in um, Scotland with Glasgow and the national team. He's a very smart, shrewd, well-regarded coach within circles. And he wanted the job. Which, you know, John O'Gibbs clearly didn't want. That helps. <clears throat> and a few others, I'm sure, as well. Yeah, and, and he chose this kid. You know, he backed this kid. He had other options there. He could have played Addison at fullback, gone with Curtis in midfield, whatever. like Damien McKenzie, is he? Yeah, bit tiny too bit, soon yeah, to kind of, too, Everyone yeah, gets compared to Damien McKenzie, yeah, just small, but like... Yeah, you're, you're, yeah, I can see where you're coming from. Gavin, uh, <laughs> Ulster away to Racing on Saturday. A uh, bit of an Irish reunion going on there. Well, we were hearing and we're seeing the clips of... Um, I haven't been watching too many of their games with Simon Zebo running in his tries and I, I'm really interested to see how uh, Zebo fronts up in all the stuff that we would have been critical with him over the years. You know, his, the basic fullback duties that Rob Carney's earned 50 more caps than him because of... Can't wait to see it because... Fortunately, he's not going to get picked for Ireland no matter what he does, but it's still... It'll be give us something to chat about. Um, yeah, racing, Ulster... Racing should stuff them, shouldn't they? They're, they're different, kind of different level team, Jerry. They are. Um, for all the things, like it, I expect there's going to be a lot of one step forward, two steps back this season with them, and that just has to be the way it is. That they're, they're just they don't have the squad depth. I wonder they definitely targeted this game to beat Leicester, and they got it right, and they they sacrificed almost the, the getting whooped by Munster to mm. to win this game. This one, I'd say they're just looking at it, going, let's let's keep it tight, let's keep our act together. But if racing 
do what they've been doing so far this season, um, we're going to see a lot of Zebo in open space. Um, Rastin are a very interesting team because they're beaten finalists last year and I always like to look at beaten finalists. Mm. Um, beaten finalists tend to come back that bit hungrier than anybody else the next year, don't they? In any, any team doesn't sport. doesn't matter the sport, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And they, that was their second final defeat in three years. Um, they're playing in this indoor arena, La Defense Arena. It's more like a giant cinema. Nightclub. I was going <laughs> to say nightclub. Yeah. With cinema, okay. Yeah, whatever, yeah. And it's, it's, it's unreal. It's, I didn't particularly like it the one time I was there with Monster last year. Why? Uh, I'd rather have seen the Rolling Stones there than <laughs> see the rematch there. Um, are the Stones it. still torn? Are they? they opened it. Wash your mouth out. Jer- yeah. Jerry landed in here uh, after oh, a Stones yeah, concert yeah, yeah. last yeah. year. That one. Oh, yeah. What a concert this year. Good um, Keith Richards, yeah. Yeah. Um, Give me shelter. God, when they started that up. Spine Role team. model yeah. for Jerry Thornley, yeah. Anyway, um, Rassing. They've lost Yannick Nyanga and um, Dan Carter to retirement. And according to Raj, that's their forward leader and that's their back leader. And he doesn't think they're going to do it because of that. And they brought in Finn Russell, who, you know, causes immense debate wherever he goes. But he seems to have hit the ground running there. And himself and Zebo have struck up an incredible understanding. The French media have already called it um, Russell and Zebo as Factor X and Factor Z. <laughs> um, and, it's, you know, Zebo's a top try scorer in the top 14. Zebo's loving, his, he's loving his He's lost there. weight. He looks really sharp. Um, he's the best finisher in Irish. He's still the best finisher in Irish rugby. Or none. No question. Mm-hmm. If, unless you count James Lowe as Irish yet. You know what I mean? He's up there. That's yeah. the company he's in. Um, and, and Russell's been given licence to thrill at home particularly. They just go for it. But they were beaten at home last time out by Leon. Whereas away from home, they've been quite conservative, um, relying on their scrum, set piece and so forth. And, they're, and they're, according to French journalists, I've asked about them, they, like, they've got, almost got a crisis of identity. What are we? Wow. <laughs> they're still figuring themselves out. So I think, I think they will beat, probably will, they've got a huge desire to do well in Europe. And they've got a great boost from their opening win away to the Scarlets. That's a great result for them. That probably is the win of the weekend, really. Um, but Ulster can go there at least swing from the hip now they've, not, mm. they've less pressure on them so I think they'll have a little bit of a go I think it'll be a very entertaining game but it would be astonishing if Racing didn't win Well it'll be I'm really looking forward to it like last weekend has really sort of set up Us, the competition yeah. for me yeah. so I, I'm going to watch a lot of rugby next weekend and we'll talk Really? Yeah Great. Definitely yeah and we'll talk to you too and again And it's good that it's on, on free to air as well isn't That's it? right yeah Monster Gloucester's on free to air next weekend Yeah, yeah. yeah. it was always worth listening to so That'll be great yeah. Listen thanks a million lads we'll talk to you again No problem Did you enjoy your Saturday night, Pat? I did, yes. I did not enjoy my Saturday night, if that's what you're asking. Well, why is that now? Because I went to watch the Ireland soccer team play. Really? It wasn't a festival of football, no? It was cold, tell you mm. that much. It was damn, damn cold and damn, damn long. Emmett Malone uh, is on the line. Uh, you were there too, Emmett, sitting in front of me. Did you enjoy oh, yourself? Um, <laughs> I'm, the, I'm, I'm more used to it, I think. Yeah, you're a, you're a bit of... A bit of a fair weather international <laughs> fan on a cold night. You yeah. know, you were never good. You were never. It, was, it wasn't cut out for you. you That's know, true. But, uh, your you your defenses are far yeah. steelier than mine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you you get used to this stuff. You get used to dreaming of the day that uh, this team is going to turn into a, a magical <laughs> passing unit, and we're all going to be swept off our feet. In the meantime, um, yeah, it wasn't one of the great nights. It has to be said. No, it wasn't. Emmett, one of the things that struck me before the match started was that when you saw the Irish team named, the 11 names, mm. I had no idea what formation they were playing or who would be playing in what position within that formation. That's surely a worrying situation for well, the I team to the be Well, I think the worrying bit is that like, there, there continue to be reports that the players don't know when they see the team what, where anyone's going to be playing, which is, uh, which is clearly not great. Um, 
I mean, Cyrus Christie seems to have suggested that uh, he didn't know until he arrived at the stadium that he was playing there. Well, um, O'Neill gets very worked up about this. He to- he was asked, you know, about uh, this, and I have asked him about this suggestion that uh, players don't know their roles, and um, and he's adamant that they do, and uh, and that they completely understand what they do. But th- it seems to be a recurring theme that when he has to shift people out of position, um, that 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 he feels in some way, on in certain instances, that it's better just to sort of throw them in than than kind of worry about that. You can't teach them a new position almost in three days, so it's kind of almost better just not to do it at all. I remember when Trapattoni was in charge of the team, we were, we were going somewhere and it was very hot, and um, and he quoted some. Uh, some 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 scientific uh, uh, theory, which sounded you know kind of logical enough that if you didn't go for I don't know what it was like five or seven days or something like that beforehand, that you were almost kind of better not trying not trying to acclimatize. That actually all you achieved in the first two days was kind of draining the players and training and stuff like that, and they hadn't become acclimatized, but they were tired going into the match and all that sort of stuff. And so Martin O'Neill seems to have you know in some sort of odd way applied this to uh, preparing people for roles that there's that there's no point in doing it for like you know two training sessions if they're not used to it just throw them in and they you know they they, they tell them what they want of them and uh, and uh, and see how they go and i mean christy is the one who's come out i think and said after this that uh, he didn't know until he reached the stadium he gets man of the match award uh, O'Neill comes in afterwards and bigs him up. I mean, Martin O'Neill loves Cyrus Christie. He no sure does. Yeah. Oh my God, you know. <laughs> and uh, he went. He talked at length afterwards about how well he'd done and how he had essentially um, helped to make uh, Matt, o- da- Matt Darty look pretty good. Which I'm not entirely sure that Matt Darty did look that great, but um, all of these things. So yeah, yeah. Look, yeah, I mean, it's it, the, the the scarcity of our talent, the the you know the 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 shallowness of our pool. Uh, means that players get moved around. They get played out of position by necessity. Um, and it's how you prepare for that and how you kind of work for it. And, and, and you know, O'Neill can look quite clever when the team is winning. But like in all these things, when um, when it's coming off the back of a couple of bad hidings and then really having to dig in and play like a, play like minnows against a, bit, a much bigger team at home and, you know, view a nil-nil draw as, a, as something of a triumph, then, then really doesn't look all that clever at all. Maliki, were you impressed by Cyrus Christie? I mean, I thought he did. He did all right. Sure, uh, sure. He, 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 I think I thought he looked a bit lost. And in yeah. fairness, if it had been a game with higher stakes or with Christian Eriksen playing, uh, yeah. he would have really looked at. You know, he. Definitely. Well, for maybe, the first... maybe, maybe he would have come into his own if Ericsson had, you know, I mean, and I been mean, given a job to do. Maybe, yeah. I, he... I mean, like you know, he was a defender playing in central midfield. If uh, maybe it, there would have been a greater clarity to what his role was. If, if that's Ericsson true, yeah. Sure. I mean, obviously, he wasn't. He was started in the knowledge that Ericsson wasn't going to be there, so mm. maybe that's you know. But he did, yeah. Well, he, know, but... No, that's that's a fair point, Emma, because he did. He sort of looked like a kind of a you know a minister without portfolio. Like he yeah. was, he was sort of playing <laughs> it's first time I, I, in a long time I've ever heard as as the teams you know as the first 30, 30 seconds of the game is happening and everybody's kind of going right who's where what, who's doing what yeah. I, I, I heard a shout from from sort of three rows in front of me that said uh, I think he's playing like inside right which you know you, you don't hear that very often that might be me that might be me Mark yeah yeah uh, yeah, yeah so I thought um, he did alright I don't really buy that he made Matt Doherty look very good I thought Matt Doherty really sort of struggled to get into the game really wasn't I thought he spent most of the first half hour kind of 
not entirely sure whether he should be playing as a right back or as a right winger. You know, he wasn't, he couldn't, he didn't really get involved an awful lot. Yeah, um, I, I was disappointed with Matt Doherty. And look, there weren't, you know, a huge number of opportunities for him to, to shine in all probability. But we were we were talking at the game, you and I and, you mm-hmm. know, the people around us. And there was a moment where there was a, a you know, I think there was a Dalsgaard throw in from the left-hand side. And it was, you know, hooked away and, and cleared almost to Doherty's feet. And somebody was coming at him. He was being closed down. He didn't have a huge amount of time. But you're thinking, yeah. if this is Wolves, yeah. he takes the ball to his feet and he runs at the defender yeah. and he pushes outside him. And he maybe either crosses the ball or he cuts back inside or he does something, you know, something something vaguely creative and menacing, you know. And, um, and instead, he's playing for Ireland. He's making his first competitive start. And um, he just immediately hoops the ball up in the air towards the far side of the area. And it, and it looked like the most Irishy team thing you've ever seen. And um, and it was deeply disappointing. Uh, I had kind of hoped that he would, you know, he would seize the moment. But I understand that the the kind of the situation is different. I mean, he's playing he's playing with players he's far less familiar with. He's playing in a formation, not that he's that unfamiliar with, but that they're reasonably unfamiliar with. Maybe there's a lack of confidence about the risks involved that if he does try to push past the defender and loses the ball, then suddenly Ireland are in, are in terrible trouble, you know? Um, I, again, going back to talking to O'Neill and, and like, you know, I had a kind of opportunity to talk to O'Neill at, at quite some length and put a lot of the issues that I think a lot of the people have, a lot of the questions that they ask about O'Neill's management style and the way that he runs the team. And, and, and one of the things was like, you know, essentially, why can't they? Why can't they kind of take the ball down and play better? And 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 he expresses some some frustration about that. And and I don't. I kind of believe I, or at least I want to believe that Martin O'Neill doesn't want them to to play terrible football. But um, but what's absolutely clear and bewildering is that he can't get them to play better football than they do sometimes. A lot of the time, Emma. It was a kind of a grey evening. Give me some positives mm. to take out of it that I, can, <laughs> that I can go forward with, with some hope in my soul. Well, there's, there's, I don't think there are a huge number of, of, of great positives. Uh, I was pointing out in the paper the other day that uh, actually, um, you know, Ireland's fortunes down the year in qualification campaigns are much, much more closely tied to um, how well we defend as opposed to how many goals we score. If you look back at the... Uh, at the eighth campaign since Mick McCarthy's successful one to qualify for the World Cup in 2002, the team averages virtually exactly one goal a game in the against the better teams in the groups that they've been in. So that's like you take out take out the minnows each time. We don't give them you know hidings really. You know, and we're not ones for generally uh, beating anybody. Kind of five, six, seven, eight nil yard time beat Gibraltar seven nil or whatever. But generally, it's win those games. We've never, we haven't dropped points in, in one of those games since, I think, 1995 against Liechtenstein. So we, we win them, score a few goals, nothing too dramatic. But against everybody else, it's virtually spot on. I think, I think in five of those campaigns, maybe six of the eight, we averaged precisely one goal a game. And that's what we kind of managed to eke out. Um, we're not world beaters on the attacking front, but actually the campaigns we've qualified in are the ones where we've kept it tighter at the back, where we've where we've kept the average down to below a goal a game. Um, I mean, I guess the maths of the situation are, are relatively straightforward. And and I mean, awful as the other night was. If um, if if at least they've addressed their their terrible def- defensive issue of the previous two competitive games, then that is a positive to take out of it. But um, 
but you know they need to shift the balance again that's because clearly they're not. There, um, that's uh, that's an awful lot more cloud than silver lining in it. <laughs> well, I've, you know, this, this is what I do for a living, lads. You know, you have to spread yourself across a lot of sports. You know, Malachi, uh, Harry Arter was talking to the press afterwards. He was he was quite interesting. Well, it was yeah. I mean, it was his first time talking to the press. He hadn't done any sort of pre-match stuff, so it was his first time back since all the uh, all the unpleasantness. And he um, he struck me as if. He pretty much wanted to talk. Like he, he wasn't doing it kind of at the point of a bayonet. Uh, he, he kind of stopped. And usually in the mix zone after games, you know, if like Callum Robinson, who had played really well uh, when he came on, uh, we got about three and a half minutes out of him before you know conversation kind of dried up and he headed off to the bus. Whereas um, Arthur kind of stood there for a good ten minutes, kind of not exactly giving his side of the story, but you know, saying, "Look." Myself and Roy have had a conversation. Uh, it's, there's a line drawn under it now. But every every opportunity he had to kind of leave it at that. Like, he did did sort of try and make it clear, you know, I've never fallen out with anybody uh, really in life, but certainly not in football. And, you know, I don't mind getting criticised. Criticism is part of football. I played for Bournemouth for eight years and got criticised a lot there. I don't mind taking that, you know. He did kind of, did sort of kept, the, at any stage, he he could have gone. You know, look, it's over and done with now. But you know, journalists would try and keep the conversation going and ask another question. And he was quite happy to stand there. And you know, he said at one point, you know, I was never looking for an apology. An apology isn't part of it. That's not that's not what it was about. You know, but it was just I felt it was the best thing for me and for everybody just to just to go away for a while and you know not be part of the setup. Or you know, I'm back now and. And we have talked it out, and 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 it's over. Um, but he was he was interesting, you know, interesting in that, you know, it, there was no sort of letting uh, letting Keane off the hook, or you know, these things happen, blah blah blah. He just, you know, um, wanted to make it clear what, that he what, never. What, what was he looking for, Malik? Yeah, I, I was a bit perplexed by this. That was the, I, that was I, the I, think, one, I think Harry Arthur's a smart guy. I think he's a good talker. I've been in a few mix zones with him. I've talked to him at length on the phone and mm. stuff like that, and and. I, I think he's a. I think he's a really kind of intelligent guy. He's a really interesting fellow to talk to and stuff like that. But I'm 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 really a, a left a little perplexed by what he was saying in the mix zone the other day as to exactly what he was looking from Roy, for for Roy Keane. I mean, what's the he 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 declined a call up to the to the team last month. Uh, it seemed to be directly related to you know the abuse that he took from oh, Keane in June. That, that's yeah. as that's as I understand yeah. it. Yeah. So what's the conversation? Is he does he just want to have a fifteen minute conversation with Roy on the phone and see can Roy get through that? Without using the c word, I, I, you know, I, 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 you know, I'm not really too sure. I, 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 even O'Neill seemed to, although he he avoided, you know, um, specifically confirming it, seemed to be suggesting very clearly that that what was going to be required here was Roy to apologise to him, and that was that was sort of the rumour going around beforehand that he did require a, an apology. And and Stephen Ward's account of it, which has been broadly now confirmed by Jonathan. Um, Walters, uh, Walters uh, although of course he wouldn't have been there for the the specific part about um, uh, the the kind of follow up part with uh, with Arthur. Um, I mean the the kind of levels of abuse involved. I would have thought probably. I mean either either it's water off ducks back and these things happen in football and you know you just carry on and you come in for the squad last month or you just think it's out of order and you're due an apology. I don't I don't know where the middle ground is. Well, honest. I don't know. I think the middle ground seemed to be. Here, listen, that was too much. Uh, I'm just not going to be around the next time, but like we can find a way to move on without, right. you know, without a sackcloth and ashes kind of thing. 
Okay. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm not sure how. I, yeah. I'm not. I'm not sure for me how much sense that makes. I mean, I, I, I can kind of, you know, O'Neill in Poland was certainly kind of suggesting that, you know, you know, Roy should be able to go around addressing people in agricultural terms and and uh, encouraging them to get more out of themselves. That was almost almost what he actually said. And um, and I thought that was a bit much. But then I'm kind of thinking, you know, if you're not looking for an apology, if you don't think this is absolutely outrageous. Then just come in, have that conversation with Roy when when uh, when when you're in on the international duty, you know. So it'll go go sit in a room at some stage and and hammer it out, you know. But um, but but actually play the game in Wales because God knows we could have used that. Yeah, that's that true, night. yeah. And we could use them tomorrow night. Listen, uh, they they're playing Wales tomorrow night. We will uh, talk about it in times to come, if sure. uh, as as long as it's not another uh, grinding nil nil draw. Uh, anyway, listen. Thanks very much, Emmett. Great stuff. Take care, lads. Take Cheerio, care, too. And thanks to Jerry and Gavin who were in earlier Talk to Rugby. Uh, thanks to you, Pat. Thanks, Paul. And thanks to Jenny behind the desk doing a far better job than the usual incumbent. Uh, see you later, everybody. We'll talk to you all next week. <laughs>